<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and you are in for a treat this weekend next as my guest is writer Jim Vallelee. Now, if you took a poll among sitcom writers and said, name the five funniest writers you know, I bet one name would appear on just about everybody's list, and that would be Jim Vallely. He has worked on a number of shows, including Golden Girls, Two and a Half Men, and he is a, a big part of the success of Arrested Development. So we're going to be talking about all of those shows, his very unique career path, writer etiquette, some advice, and uh, there'll be a lot of laughs along the way because, like I said, this is a very funny guy. So, you ready for some fun? Here we go. This is part one of my interview with Emmy Award-winning writer Jim Vallelee. So every writer starts out on a different path, and for you, you were a comedy team with yeah. somebody, weren't you, starting out? That's how I started. I, I, uh, I uh, went to NYU. I uh, lied my way into NYU uh, as an actor. I was a terrible actor, but I, I didn't know that yet. Uh, and I studied with the great Stella Adler uh, over at City Center. Alec Baldwin was a year behind us. And... Um, uh, there was one really unbelievably talented guy in the class, Jonathan Schmack. And, uh, a great comedy name. A great comedy name. And uh, it was, it was, uh, it was yeah. Steve Allen's old uh, uh, tag on, remember? Schmack, Schmack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, and he, you know, he could do accents, any accents, and just hysterically funny. And you believed every character that he did. So, uh, Having no real talent myself, I like, you know, hung on to him, and we began writing little little Friday night shows that we were doing at the Third Street Cabaret in uh, in the Village in 1974, and uh, and then we decided to give stand up comedy a try. And after a couple of false starts over years, Bill Maher, uh, who he had, we had met at the comic strip in 1978, uh, right. was. 
emceeing over at Catch a Rising Star, which that was the club you wanted to get at. And we were doing this tiny little uh, club called Good Times on 31st and 3rd, you know, and it had about 12 people, could hold about 12 people in it. But the guy who ran it, Rico, had a real eye for talent because the Friday night show there was Yakov, Smirnoff, mm-hmm. before he even came out to L.A., right? Right. And uh, uh, Andrew Clay who uh, your audience may know as Dice. Right. Was he the Dice Man then? Was that his bit? Or was he just doing stand-up? He was a nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn (laughs) who basically had a cruise ship act. You know, he would do his impression of um, Jerry Lewis. lady! And he would do... um, What else did he do? Uh, I don't know. He just did a a couple of impressions. It was kind of a hokey little act that he did. Lillian uh, Gish? Did he do Lillian yeah, Gish? Lillian Gish, yeah. This is way back. Uh, he did um, He did a bit from Prometheus, Bound. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was like, <laughs> just slayed them over at the good times on 31st and 3rd. Uh, and then there was a great uh, dirty ventriloquist act named George Nato. And uh, George Nato were great, and they were filthy. But, you know, all the dirty limericks that they did, that's where I saw that 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 that. that Dice would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw. I saw the Dirty Puppet <laughs> show doing hickory dickory dock at that that and the other hole going up and down at the end. And it's like sometimes I would often say, you know, Dice Clay remains reminds me of George, the filthy Dirty Puppet, and of George and Otto. Otto was the person. Look it you up. You really kind of learn rhythm and following other comics. Yes, you yes. you kind of glean what works and what yeah. doesn't, and I, I'm sure that it was really a, a great training ground. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you hear it, and you, then all of a sudden you realize, I mean, sometimes a joke, it's not the wit behind the joke, uh, sometimes as much as it says, just the sound, the sound of a certain word. Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, you know, I think people really underestimate oh, that's a funny word that <laughs> makes you laugh, you know? So you learn that on the road, you know, it was, you know, it was a great experience and we did it. It got us out here. They flew us out here. NBC saw us and uh, Brandon Tartikoff gave us a deal. And then, and then uh, we were on a couple of TV shows. And I remember the first time I saw myself act on TV, you know, this is like 1982, 83. Uh, you know, I never really saw myself act before. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, you know, you, you, it was a big deal to get video. And if you did get videotape, oh, the sound was terrible. Oh, no one looks good on that. You know? So the first time I saw myself act, and this was a career I had been, you know, studying for like eight, nine years. Um, but mostly I was making my money doing, you know, stand-up in, in The Funny Boys. It's the name of our act because nobody could say schmock and bowly, you know? So, uh, <laughs> so... But I saw myself on TV uh, for the first time acting and realized, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever that that thing is that makes it that talent. Yes, I had no acting talent. And um, and uh, it would take me a few years to re- for it to really sink in. You were on a series called yes. Double Trouble. Sure. With the uh, Seagal twins, with Jeannie and Liz Seagal. And uh, fun fact, their sister is Katie Seagal. Half-sister. But you were a regular on that show. Yes. And uh, you, I guess you and your partner. Yes. And you were kind of the Lenny and Squiggy 
of that series. Exactly. We were the comic relief on a comedy. And uh, and we had fun doing it. I mean, it, it, and that's where I met Don Rio, who would be a mentor and go on into my life. You know, Don from he did he did sure, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, he was he he really was you know he got me into writing after that because I would I would th- I would call jokes jokes in from the stage. Don, I got one, <laughs> <laughs> and they would use your jokes, <laughs> right? Exactly. So um, uh, after after that got. Uh, canceled, and that was one of those. My 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 life is a series of paying for other people's mistakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe the first. What do you mean? Like, well, I mean they had to, this also double trouble. And it wasn't a great show, but it was the years of facts of life, and you know, blah blah. Even Don, you know, Don tells great stories about you know. This was like it was what I call a paycheck show. You know, and by the way, the mistake that was made was clearly on NBC's part. I want to, you know, you know <laughs> it my, always is. I'm canceling my ticket. Oh, good shows are constantly being canceled, constantly. You know, but it's rare when a show that uh, has numbers gets canceled because they just had it at the wrong slot. Like it turns out that teenage girls, you know, aren't home as much on Saturday night as they are on Wednesdays. Who you knew? Know? Who knew? You know who's home? Old people on Saturdays. <laughs> and Golden Girls took that slot and they became, you know, the Golden Girls. Well, it's a good way to segue into Golden Girls because you wrote for Golden Girls. Talk about how that came to be. Well, that was another like that. That was that was due to Don Rio. Um, uh, after a couple of years, you know, Jonathan was getting good acting work and uh, and the funny boys were doing good. But, you know, the thing about being in a comedy duo is uh, you have to split the check. No one likes splitting a check, right? So, yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> As someone who's been in a writing team for 43 years, I, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, but that's a big goddamn check. Uh, a week at the, uh, at the uh, dunes in uh, L.A. Well, I have it worked out, so it's 80-20. So it has worked out really well. And and, and you're happy with that 20, huh? Yeah, David is now doing Postmates. (laughs) I've never met him, and I'm such a fan of you guys. Well, order something for CPK, and he'll be there in an hour. (laughs) Wow, that joke is as fresh as anything you can get off of Postmates. You should do that. You should do like a joke mates thing, you know? You need a snappy line. Hey, geez, my mother uh, you know, just said blah, 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 blah. I need a snappy one. And then you come on over in the car and you come out and say, you know, your funny line. Curbside <laughs> jokes, yes. Curbside jokes, yeah. The pandemic uh, area. But uh, so anyway, uh, so we ha- so I was sort of out of, out of work because that was my income. And... Um, I just started a rumor. This is a good thing to tell writers. I started a rumor in the town that I was writing. It was just a rumor, you know, and people were saying, what are you doing? I go, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, uh, I'm doing less of the performing. I'm, I'm really focusing on writing now. I'm writing now. I'm writing now. I'm writing now. I'm writing now. And then, like, out of, out of nowhere, Don Rio called up and said, Jimmy, I understand you're writing now, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he put me on a show um, you know, I had no experience in the writing room. I had plenty of experience, you know, in comedy and on a stage. But this is 1987, and we did a show uh, starring Brian Keith uh, called Heartland for CBS. It was a little, little summer show, and 
and we we did it. And and in that room, I got to meet Paul Witt and Tony Thomas because they were the producers of the show. Okay. And, and I realized that um, I I had to um, impress them. <laughs> I was smart because I had a you know nine year old daughter, and I still do have a daughter, and uh, and so. I just did everything I could to make those two guys laugh. And uh, a couple of weeks later, they uh, they said they were, they were restaffing Golden Girls and they would like to, you know, give me a two-week option, uh, which they did. Did you uh, buy a house? <laughs> exactly. I went out to Malibu. And um, it was, it was, it was, it was, I knew it was my big break. I knew that that would be if I could get on the Golden Girls. Because I had never really even seen the show because I was in stand up and we worked on Saturday nights. So I'd seen clips of it and I knew it was, I knew it was, you know, it was, it was funny. But they were saying, you know, the Cosby show was funny too. And I did see it and I, I, I respected the, the art of it and the thing of it, but I never found it particularly funny, you know? Like, Cheers made me laugh constantly, all the time. MASH always makes me laugh. And Cosby was just like, I guess it's funny. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like they have television funny, you know? Just, so how did that work when you're on a show that you're not really connecting with? Were you just pitching tons and tons of stuff and getting 10% of it in? Or did you kind of figure out the rhythm and learn to pitch for that show. Oh, I, 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 I jumped into it. I, you know, I mean, you know, I, I caught up on it and, and I was like, uh, oh, you know, this show is actually really funny. These women, you know, are slamming it down. And um, I, 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 it was a combination of fear because <laughs> 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 I was, you know, I was no, no spring chicken. I was like 33 years old. Uh, and I had never done it. And, um, and I just, I just, I just, I remember it was a, a script that I had gotten and it was, the episode was, and, and no, no, nobody likes the new guy. You know, I came in like three weeks after everybody else and you really have to choose yourself. And the guy named Mark Sokin was running the room and, uh, he, um, you know, he wasn't happy about a new writer. But, you know, he called me up. He goes, I, I can teach you structure, but I can't teach you funny. I'll never forget that. He goes, are you funny? And I said, I think I'm funny, yes. So, uh, but the first assignment I got, you, you always get like a bullshit assignment. And it was, the, the thing was, uh, B. Arthur's character was going to try stand-up comedy. And he needed material for her act. And he said, go back to your... Uh, office and you know see if you can come up with anything and i came up with like 40 jokes in about two hours <laughs> and i slammed them down and he looked at me and he began chuckling at a couple and then he motioned for me to sit next to him <laughs> <laughs> and um and because he because he did stand you know he, he was he was from laverne and shirley and you know he he had that big giant you know a, you know three jokes on every page you know, you know, that the funny and, and it was kind of like with the mandate that we got. It was like season four of Golden Girls that I joined uh, four, five, six and seven. And um, and he was like, look, um, you know, the, Paul and said we have done a lot of stories on this. And uh, so we're really focusing more on a lot of jokes. 
you know, because, you know, the plots on Golden Girls are like, how many guys can these old broads screw? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, we were like, we were pulling them out and we were dusting off Cesar Romero. <laughs> Cesar Romero did our show. <laughs> You know, we got every old guy in the world. Alan King came by, you know, Jerry Orbach was, you know, he was, you know, he was having a great time with B. Arthur. I mean, they, they, it was just Sex in the City, you know, 20 years before Sex in the City. Francis X. Bushman, did he ever make an appearance? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Lincoln's son. We and got uh, Francis X. Bushman and Lillian Gish and Lillian in the same Gish. podcast. I've worked with all of these, all of the greats, all of the greats. And, uh, and, and, and Lillian was always grateful when she could do talkies. She said... <laughs> What was it like writing your first script for the show? Uh, well, I was pretty smart here because, you know, there was an interim between these two shows. Um, uh, when the first one with Don and, get, and getting the call for Golden Girls, it took a little while. And I had an agent, I swear to God, who had an office in the Galaxy Galleria <laughs> mall <laughs> in the valley, right? <laughs> and he was like, Jim, why don't you write a script? A, a, a spec script of the uh, Golden Girls and, and send it into to Paul Witt and Tony Thomas. And I said, why? So I could prove that I don't know how to write a Golden Girls script? <laughs> you know, right? I, I said, no, I'm just going to go in and try to be the funny guy. And they and they said, um, they had a, a, another writer there and they said, how would, you, and how would you like to team up with Gail Parent? Well, Gail Parent, to me, the first real book I ever read uh, Sheila Levine is dead and living in New York. It was mm-hmm. by Gail Parent. My favorite comedy of all times was Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman at that time. Right. You know, I just thought it was groundbreaking and, you know, crazy funny and amazing, created by Gail Parent. So all of a sudden, I went from, you know, being me, <laughs> which wasn't a great thing to be in 1983. To, you know, working with Gail Perrin. And she showed me the ropes. She, like, took me under her wings, and she showed me structure and story, and uh, and, and we keep in touch to this day. But, um, you know, so we wrote, I think we wrote 10, 12 uh, Golden Girls together. And, uh, you know, and... Uh, you know, it was a great it was a great learning experience. I'm always grateful. You know, there's people who teach you these things. You mm-hmm. know, and 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 you know, I will never forget Don Rio. These people who take chance on you. You know, to to be in this incredible business, which many more people are qualified to be in than than you think. You know what I mean? I have absolutely found- luck plays an awful big part. Yeah, it's it, it and 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 I always. I realized, I think it was probably good that, I think a lot of guys like come like right out of the Harvard into, you know, it was, it was Harvard, Letterman, Hollywood, Simpsons, you know, and, and, and they never really have a, they don't have to have the same experience. You know, I got into Harvard, I, I worked for the Lampoon, I worked for, and, and it's a great experience to have, but it's kind of like the same experience. As opposed to, you know, I never, ever thought I would be in, I never thought I would be a television writer. I was a C student, you know, I was a lousy actor. I was a smart ass. That was basically the only thing I was really good at, was being a smart ass. And um, it was just a, a series of, of lucky events and, and fear, 
you know, of, of you know, I had a family very young in life. And uh, when you have a kid, you know, all of a sudden you really, you know, you, 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 you get blizzard focus, you know. You know, what was it like on the set of Golden Girls? It was, it how, was like, how are those women to deal amazing. with? I know Betty White is amazing. It was, there was there was there was nothing. There was never one hissy fit. No one ever stormed off. I would find out later how unbelievably unusual this is. If we had a run through at three, it started at three. You know, we we did we did um uh uh you know. You know, table read Monday, you know the drill. Table yep. table read Monday, you know, uh, hear it, do some notes, uh, you know, what, what what didn't work. Women are blocking on Monday. Tuesday, run, you know, we send our changes down Tuesday morning. They incorporate it, run through 3 o'clock Tuesday. Rewrite, you know, Wednesday, start working on next week's story. Boom, we go to, we go to the run through at 3 on Wednesday. Uh, rewrite it. Show's locked on Thursday. Women run it. Friday, you know, 12 o'clock show. Then dinner. I don't know if, did you do this on Cheers? We'd have, we'd have the run through with an audience, no stopping, at probably around 3 o'clock in the afternoon and get through the show by about 5. Then the women would put on their robes and we'd all have dinner in the same room. It was a beautiful experience. And, you know, cast, crew, everybody eating dinner in front of the same room. Then it was note time. And the notes were given publicly uh, in front of everybody. So everyone would, would know, you know, there's a line change here or there's something there. And, you know, in between the, 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 the early show, we would like if we had a couple of lines that we'd want to write, we would do that between the, the first show, the second show. And we would get there and you would give notes to the women and they would go uh, and, you know, Yes, it was probably a little bit harder to give a note to B. Arthur. <laughs> I remember it was like my first show, and I had written a joke. The uh, the thing was not. Remember when Wayne's World came out, and the big punchline that everyone was using was, uh, "Ken, you're one of the fav- you're one of my favorite writers." Not, not right? yes, a corny, horrible joke. That, that was every- the Bernie meme of, yeah, exactly. of comedy writing back then. <laughs> comedy mean but the thing about golden girls is you could actually do those kind of clammy you know jokes <laughs> that everyone else was showing because a you had really great actors and b there was like oh it's a, grandmas are always the last one to get the joke right so there's, there's <laughs> joke in that right so you could be a little bit out right so we were we were stuck, and I decided to do a a not joke, and it was something along the lines of I don't even remember, but it was like be saying to Betty, you know, and you're one of the smartest you know people I know. Not, I'd say that's what it was, and B did it at the uh, first first taping with the live audience. Uh, she goes and and um, <laughs> and uh, Rose, you're one of my favorite people. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I fall off the chair laughing, right? <laughs> I think this is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. And Paul and Tony say, that's good. Hey, Mark, Mark Sokin, tell her to tone it down. <laughs> it looks like that, right? <laughs> Poor Mark. He's like, oh, come on, she'll know. No, you have to tell, with B, you have to tell her, you know, tone it down a bit. And so we get to the, the jug and they go, uh, B, what? Um, the not joke, yes. <laughs> um, could you tone it down a bit? All right. 
not happy, right? And so on my craft services before the before the show, and I and run up to her, and I really hadn't said that much to her. And I don't know what, what possessed me to say this, but I said, uh, hey, B, this is the first time I've ever said to her. I said, I go, I just have to say, I, I love the way you did the not joke. And she goes, yeah, me too. Then Mark Sotkin cut my balls off. <laughs> <laughs> I love that lady. I, I love. So that how'd lady. she do it for the uh, the later she, show? Uh, yeah, she did it. She did it right, and, and and Paul and Tony were right. There was probably a little too much anger coming in that first knot. Of course, <laughs> everyone was right, you know. But um, you know, she was she was really you know all of them, and Betty, you know, it was just this this master class in comedy, and a lot of shows like you 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 like. If B. Arthur couldn't get a laugh with your joke, you know you've written a bad joke. That's right. You know, and there are some shows where the lead, I would put, you know, like, you know, I would certainly put Kelsey Grammer. If he can't get a laugh with your joke, you've written a bad joke. Yep. There are some yep. actors. David Hyde Pierce, same thing. Exactly right. We just yeah. draw an X through the line yeah, if yeah. he doesn't and get a laugh because we know it's us. It's not him. Exactly. And, but B would be like, give me another chance with that. Let me, you know, let me work on it. You know, she, uh-huh. she was not like, you know, you know, she, she, I, I think she really was, I think all really good actors respect writers and some don't. And so sometimes like, I would say like, and who's the boss, you know, another show that I just didn't get, you know, but it's a good show and it certainly made a lot of money, but Tony Danza, I use him as my example of like, he's got a trick and Tony Danza's trick, at least in the who's the boss was, he was his own laugh track. He would laugh after everything he said. So if he had to say, you know, you know, you know, I like a great couch. I like a great couch. <laughs> you listen to it. He's like, I go, this man's carrying his laugh track along. I know comics do this all the time. You know, they fill in the laugh. And um, and Tony Danza could take a bad joke and he kind of bring it up a little bit with that little laugh. And he, but he also takes a good joke and he kind of kills it too with that little laugh. You're getting a Tony Danza laugh all the time. And if you're only writing for Tony Danza for a couple of years, you don't know what a bad joke is, you know? Yeah. So, but with B. Arthur and Betty White and, and, and Rue and, and the old lady, Estelle, you, you knew. You, you got spoiled, didn't you? Oh my God. Yeah. I thought, I thought this is what it's like. Great, great people. No, no drama, nothing. Ever, you know, there was zero drama in four years, and um, and then I got into the into the business a little more, and um, you know, I think like I think the most important word for writers is the word and, you know, you have to be funny and <laughs> on time and uh, not huff out when you don't get your way. You know, the, the worst are people who have talent because they're the most easily offended, you know, because when they do pitch a, a brilliant line and it's like, no, I think we're still looking, <laughs> um, you know, they they rightfully get mad because, uh, you know, no, that's the line. That's the line. I know it in my heart. That's the line. You got to. Uh, and they and they leave and they get angry because they're right. Uh, but I always was like, uh I don't care. Oh, I wish we had used that one. Well, the thing about the the writers who 
would be very defensive about the lines. And, and I've seen this happen on a couple of occasions, and I'm not going to name names, but there have been some really funny writers who, after a couple of years, just get fired because the showrunner just can't take the pouting and they yeah. just can't take the yeah. obstruction and it's like it's just not worth it yes yeah. he's very funny and yes there are great jokes in every episode but we're here an extra hour every night and there's an extra level of tension as a result that's not worth it yeah yeah and that's one of the ends that you have to learn you know and easy to work with you yeah. know and you know and and so, but that's, you know, these are all like little things you learn along the way. We all make mistakes in our career, but uh, how many mistakes? You know, I think you're allowed three big ones. <laughs> right? I once uh, asked Bob Weisskopf, who's a great, iconic writer, Schiller and Weisskopf, they wrote I Love Lucy and Maud and tons and tons of shows in between. And I said, so what do you look for? when you're putting a staff together. And he says, I imagine who would you want to be in a Volkswagen with driving across the country? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you, know, you know, here's an and. You know, learned how to eat a sandwich with your mouth closed. <laughs> That's a real you know, deal killer <laughs> sometimes, you know what I mean? Learn how not to talk, you know, stay away from egg salad, never <laughs> eat egg salad. Right? <laughs> there are just certain things that you, and you have to realize, and there are people who, you, and you really have to be really great to be, um, I'm not, I'm not good smelling person. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, yeah, when people say to me, so can you give me tips on this interview I'm about to take? I would say, bathe. And they would look at me like I was crazy. And I would say, no, seriously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shower before yeah. you take the meeting. Because you would be surprised how often people would come in for a meeting and in five seconds you're going no right done yeah 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 it, it, there is a you know it's just a, it's just a list of things that you need to do and some people and i i've always I, here's what i've noticed tell me if this is true but i i don't develop a lot uh you know i've developed a couple of shows and uh, and, it, and it's a it's it's a hard experience because you get lots of notes and lots of then meetings and things I really, you know, I, I hate pitching to people. I hate, you know, I'm not one of those like, okay, here we are, act one, scene two. You know, I'm not one of those guys. Uh, I always stutter. I get nervous. I, I'm afraid of authority. You know, I, and when someone wears a, like, $6,000 suit, I'm like, oh, oh. And so mostly because I really have, tried to be a positive energy in the room, you know, because the other thing, and laugh at the other guy's joke, you know, the other woman's joke, you know, just, you know, be, be, make the energy, get out early. Don Rio taught me this, get out early. You know, Don Rio has never driven home in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's given me such amazing life. I once asked Don, I said, Don, 
<laughs> as I'm getting older, I go, any advice about getting older? Bring money. <laughs> Bring money, Jim. <laughs> he's just, he's like my guru. And, um, but, you know, just, just bring an energy to the room that's positive. Don't pout, you know, especially when you're right. Especially when you're right. You're allowed one or two. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. But what I have learned is, you know, there are times where you're accidentally going to be, you know, f- feel, you know, you're a human being. You know, you can only hear no so many times, right? Sure. <laughs> and, but what I, what, I, what I have learned to do is in those moments... Um, don't suppress the anger. Just, just feel it. Just don't express it. Just feel it and let it, and and, and let it go. And it always goes, it always fades away because at the end of the day, it's just a fucking joke. (laughs) Yeah. I've always maintained that you're always mad about something. I mean, when you're in a rewrite, you're either pissed at one of the actors You're pissed at the network. You're pissed at the showrunner. You're pissed at one of the other writers for um, eating egg salad. It's like there's always something, but you do have to fight your way through it. Yeah, yeah, And 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 it's called being an adult. And I think that if there's there's something that has happened over the years is the celebration of adolescence. Uh, and a never-ending adolescence. Uh, I, I do look at the comedy writers who I really respect, guys like Nat Hyken and, you know, all the guys who did, you know... You he know, did Bob's Bilko Day. and Car 54, Bilko, Where Are You? You know, you know just um, the, the, the guys who did uh, Andy Griffith, which I, I still think is just an amazingly, beautifully written show. And... Um, and Everett Greenbaum you know, and Jim Fritzell, Aaron yeah. Rubin... And, yeah, yeah, and they would go to work in suits and ties, and they hang it up like like Dick Van Dyke did. And um, you know, he would. Uh, they would. They would. Okay, we got it today. It's five o'clock. They were, I'm sure there were no like you know. Barney would never say that. You know. <laughs> 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 well, are you kidding? How the fuck? Oh, why don't we? Why don't we bring fucking Otis back again? You know. Hey, don't go there. <laughs> You know, well, no, you get a nice little kick when when we bring Otis in, don't you, Bob? <laughs> I just don't think that, that was the that was going on. I don't think it was going on in Lucy. You know, yeah, why don't we put a goddamn another fucking uh, you know loving cup on Lucy's head? Okay, <laughs> I think they were all you know they were adults. They're adults doing the job, you know. And that will do it for part one of my interview with Jim Vallelie. Next week, we are going to spend an awful lot of time talking about arrested development, among other topics. That is next week. Anyway, our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce and Jason Miller. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine. I can't believe you're not following me on Twitter yet. Also, I'm on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Subscribe if you haven't. Please come back for part two. Again, a lot of talk about arrested development and some real interesting things about that show that 
even as a longtime grizzled comedy veteran myself, I didn't know. That's next week with Jim Vallely. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Hollywood and the fine. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.